Hey everyone, welcome back to the Living with Power Hope podcast. This is Lena Ebijamra, your host. It is so awesome to be back with you. Hope you've had a great Easter. Hope you're still living in the light of the resurrection. It's not always easy to do that. In fact, some of you might be thinking, man, I long for revival in my life. If you do long for that, then you are here for a reason. This week, instead of a usual interview like we do, I'm going to take uh, the time to share with you a teaching that I did at my church's monthly meeting called Revive. And the teaching is focused on what stands in the way of revival. Believe it or not, there are some things we can do to set our hearts in line and to position ourselves in a way to receive revival from the Lord. Hey, do you long for that in your life? Do you want it more than anything? Then listen up. You might enjoy this message. about what keeps us from revival. What keeps us from revival? I'm going to stay in Moses. I love Moses. I actually thought about him yesterday at Moody also. I don't get tired of thinking about Moses. I don't. I think you could spend your life studying this man um, and, and, and his relationship with the Lord and still benefit. And um, I want to go to Exodus 32. What stands in the way of revival? I think I've got five points. So we're going to just move through this. This is a sad chapter in the nation, in the people of Israel. You know, they were on the way to becoming a nation now. They had left Egypt. So in the last time that we met, in case you weren't here, we talked about Moses' call and how he had spent all this time in the wilderness and God called him out of the wilderness back to his calling that he had, he had in his life, but he had sort of gotten distracted with, with his trying to accomplish it in his own strength. And, and God gives him like this 40-year time to grow and become able to lead. And you go, how did God do that in the wilderness with a bunch of sheep? And so sometimes you might not think that God is preparing you. You might think that you're wasting your time. You're not. God is preparing you in the place that you're in for what he has for you. Now, Moses is ready. He comes back to, to Egypt. He gets the people of, of Israel. And, and they're just, remember, it started off with who? With a family, right? Remember, it was like Abraham had, had Jacob. and Oh, actually, he had Isaac and then Jacob and Esau. And, and, and they had, how many kids did Jacob have? Twelve, right. This is awesome. And so 12 kids that eventually became, like I think when they first moved to Egypt, it was like a few hundred, I don't know how many kids. They had a lot of kids in those days. And, and eventually, by the time they left Egypt to go into the wilderness to worship God, God is now forming a nation. They're into hundreds of thousands, close to a million people. And so that's Moses' task. And so everything would go smoothly if the people listened to Moses all the time. But the people want what they want when they want it. And we're going to see this theme that stands in the way of revival. Now, when we read these stories, what we often forget, and I think most of us are probably smart enough and cynical enough about our own life that we can immediately identify with the people of Israel. A few of us would read and go, I am a Moses, except for his failures, right? I mean, most of us are like, yeah, I get the people of Israel, because if I were in their shoes, I think I'd do the same, because we look at our lives and we're so much like them. And so, so we, but we see, I think by looking at their lives and particularly in Exodus 32 and, and other tragic chapters of their life and time in the wilderness, it is essential, it is essential for us to learn what it is that we need to avoid. All right. The whole point of the Bible, one of my favorite verses is in Romans. Uh, the Apostle Paul wrote that. You don't have to turn there. I'll read it. And you can stay just where you are unless you'd like to turn and why not, right? You can underline it and look at it later. In Romans chapter 15, verse uh, 4 and 5-ish there. For whatever was written, Paul wrote, for whatever was written in former days was written, why? For our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. 
So, so he's telling us, like, there's a reason that we have the Old Testament. There's a reason. It all points to Jesus, but there's a reason. It's there so that we learn and are encouraged. Not so that we're way down. We can read the story and be like, man, this stinks. Or you can read it and go, man, this is the best thing in the world. Because now I know what I need to do to avoid ending up like they ended up. So we know. And wisdom is practicing what you know. It's not just having the knowledge, but then taking it and saying, okay, God, what do I need to do in my life differently? So now in Exodus 32, Moses leaves the people of Israel for like a small piece of time, okay? It's 40 days. Maybe some of you are like, 40 days is a long time. It's not. It's like a month and a week, right? I mean, it's really not. The problem is he didn't tell them how long it's going to be. And so he goes off, and where's he going? Remember? He's going to Mount Sinai. And what's his job? To meet with God. I mean, can any of us put a timeline on that? Like, you're a mom, you go to your room, you tell your kids, man, I'm going to have my quiet time, right? And they're like, the kids last like a minute, right? You can't. Some of you are like, you've got toddlers. You're like, oh, yeah, no, I shut the door and lock it. That way they can't reach me. My mom used to do that. True story. Maybe we were toddlers, but I remember growing up, this was a pattern in the middle of the day, maybe mid-morning, if we were home in the summers, she'd be like, go to her room and lock the door. And we knew what she was doing, all right? She wasn't punching a bag. She wasn't throwing darts at our faces. She was on her knees praying. And, and we knew that pattern. And we left her. And then she came out. And my mom is known in her life. My, I don't know if I told you that, but one of my nephews recently was describing my mom. We're talking about it was maybe Christmas. And everybody sort of loses their brains in my family at Christmas. You guys have that family. I don't know what happens. Like we all sort of regress 25 years. And wah! Except for my mom. She's so steady. She's so steady. And I remember her growing up saying, like, she's so steady. And, and I believe it's because of that time apart with God. And so Moses goes and says, I'm going to go. And he's meeting with God. He's bringing the Ten Commandments. He's setting the laws. He's setting the way to, to, to the coming of Jesus eventually. But they don't know that yet. They just know that he goes to meet with God. And they're sitting there waiting. Waiting. You say, what stands in the way of revival? Write this down. Number one, refusing to wait on God will always stand in the way of revival. I'm going to show you what that is. Read with me, Exodus 32, verse 1. It says, when the people saw that Moses delayed, there it is, so they're waiting. It's one thing to wait. It's another to feel like you're delayed, right? You know the difference? You go to a restaurant, you put your name. What do they say? You've got 15 minutes to wait. You're okay with that because you got to watch and you got stuff to do for 15 minutes. What happens when that turns into 20 minutes? How many of you at 20 minutes you go back and talk to the lady? How many of you can last 30 minutes? Okay, now you're in delay mode. Same with flights. Waiting is, I show up to the airport, my flight is in an hour, I've got to wait. And some of you, you like that hour, you plan on it, you want to be waiting that hour because it's your free time. Now you're at the airport, no one can bug you, right? You know that feeling? Or you get there and the flight is canceled and now they tell you, well, we don't know when the next flight is. Now you're in delay mode. And delay mode does something to us where we're just like this, like we're so uncomfortable with that, we don't know what to do. They're now in delay mode, because they sort of waited, they were comfortable for 30, 40 days, and now they're literally at the cusp of 40 days. They don't know what's on the other side of that. I'll show you in a second. They just know that Moses is taking his good old time, and they have had it. And you say, what did they do? So when the people saw, by the way, walking by sight, is that the way that we are to live? No. What are we supposed to walk by? Faith. Faith. And so what happens the minute you start looking at your circumstances and judging God and life according to what you see? 
You're doomed to fail. You're doomed to fail. You cannot look at your circumstances. I gave you an example earlier, a stupid example of my schedule. If you look at my schedule in the fall, you would be like, dude, you've been doing ministry for 20 years. You have one speaking engagement. It's after July for the rest of it. This is what you've quit the ER for. And you'd be like, you are a failure. And I would look at you and say, no, you are walking by sight. I am walking by faith. Amen. May God be praised. We don't know what he's going to do. I might be gone every day. Did you see the difference between when you walk by faith and you walk by sight? People look at your life. They might look at your kids and say, these are your kids? Do you acknowledge those kids, right? My sister's got teenagers right now. She's like, I don't know them, right? Or you say, yes, they are. And God's got them. And God's got the situation. And they might not look like much right now, but I know what's been planted in their hearts and they're going to turn around. You just wait. You walk by faith. That might be your husband that you're looking at every day going, him? I married him? Think about that. They saw, they judged every situation in scripture where the pattern of seeing took over failure. You can walk your way through so many. Seeing will get you in trouble. Faith, believing what God has promised, what God has said. Seeing will get you into sin. David saw Bathsheba. Samson saw Delilah. You can start picking up those themes in scripture when those words are put. God has breathed every word in this book for a reason. So when, he, when they saw that Moses delayed, they didn't have faith. They didn't trust that God might be doing something there. No, they got Aaron. They gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, up, and you're going to see here how faithlessness is contagious. Faithlessness is contagious. The minute you stop believing God, everybody around you, it's like, it's like this Eeyore mentality that just spreads like wildfire in our world and in our churches. And, 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 and by the way, I'll give a good example of the opposite of that, Pastor Carl. Maybe his ship could be sinking and you're like, Carl, how are you doing today? Praise God, it's an awesome day to be a Christian, right? I mean, you're like, who is this creature? And you know what? That's contagious too. That's contagious too. How many of you come to church sometimes and you're kind of going, this just stinks, I'm having such a bad week. And you see Carl, you listen to my radio, and you're like, okay, okay, this is actually a really good thing. That's how you start smiling. You can't help yourself. The opposite is true of faithlessness. So keep that in mind. Up, make us gods, they say to Aaron. This is the stupidest idea they could come up with. Who says, who, and God's little G, who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of, out of the land of Egypt. Can I stop you for a second? Did Moses just like show up to Egypt, gather the men, and be like, dude, let's go on a trip here. We're going to go worship God for three days. And they all said, yeah, let's go. And Pharaoh said, all right, see you guys later. And they kind of got in their cars and left. Was that the situation? Can I, can I just jog your memory for a little? What happened in Egypt? Remember what happened? He showed up, and what was Pharaoh's, uh, uh, what, what, wait, wait, what was the, the famous quote? Moses, this is like in every play I've ever written about Moses. Let my people go. And Pharaoh's like, no way. And what happens, the first, and by the way, the people said no way at first. The people of Israel said no way. And, and then eventually they saw God's hand in Moses and they believed. And, and so Moses basically says, all right, I, I, God predicted you were going to say no. So first plague, second plague, third, like, what was the plague like? Was it like three people in the country knew about it? Everybody saw it. So, so God's power was so mighty that there wasn't a human in all of Egypt that did not understand who God was, that by the time they left, and what was the last plague. The Passover, we're about to, to celebrate Easter in a couple of weeks, and the Passover where a lamb, with first, the first Passover of the people of Israel, God says, if you put the lamb and you take the blood, it has to be put, he gave them the characteristics of what they ought to do and how they ought to put the blood. And there's a lesson in everything that written there. He says, you, whoever has the blood on their doorpost, I will pass over. 
And what was that a picture of? It was a picture of the coming Messiah and how he would die for us and how his blood would eventually be shed once and for all so that we no longer have Passovers where we kill a lamb. Because why? Because Jesus has been the perfect lamb who has died for us and risen again. You see it happening. So the people of Israel see this so that by the time they leave Egypt, everybody is in shock and awe over what's happening. And guess what happens a week later? Maybe not even a week, three days later, two pages later in your Bible. They come across a body of water called what? The red stinking sea. And what happens? They have a panic attack. Here's God who just delivered them in a mighty, awesome way. And they saw it and they believed it. And now they're like, Moses, you're the guy, you're the guy, you're the guy. God is the God, God is the God. And then they get to the Red Sea and they freak out. And what does God do? He bails them out again because that's what God does. He's faithful, faithful. You might have come in this morning beating yourself on the back. This message about not waiting isn't meant to beat you down on the back. It's a message to remind you. God is faithful. He knows our weaknesses. And so here's the people of, of Israel who see this. And God, God is so faithful to them. And then they go like this month. They sit in the wilderness waiting for Moses who's like, I promise you I'm coming back. And now they freak out. And their conclusion and the minute you start living by what you see and not by what, by what you know is true, you will reach wrong conclusions in your life about God. You will reach wrong, wrong conclusions about the people and the leaders in your life. I've seen it happen in my life. I, I, it happens a lot in my life. When I get off base and I start looking at the circumstances in my life and I stop believing God by faith, the very next thing that comes out of my mouth is, God, do you even care about me? God, do you like them more than you like me? And all those statements that are based in the lies of the evil one whose goal, back in Genesis chapter 3, is to make Eve what? Doubt God's word. So the minute he gets you doubting who he is, his character, his word, he's won. And you, my friend, are stuck in a pit of self-pity and defeat. And not only that, what you try to do when you refuse to wait on God is to try to take matters into your own hands. And that is the worst thing that you can do when you don't know what to do is to try to take matters and fix things in your own hands. You listen to me. If you're in a season of waiting, you keep on waiting. You wait on the Lord. If you want revival in your life and you don't see how things are going to change in your life, your job is not to try to make it happen. Your job is to trust God. So here's what happens to them. Incidentally, incidentally, not the only people who refuse to wait on God. There are many examples in Scripture. Abraham, the father of our faith, well before, didn't have a child. 25 years waited. And in that season, what did he do? He says, okay, I'll fix the problem. Because humanly, can we fix the problem? No. You better believe we can try. We think we can. And so we come up with our plan. Is it a good plan? No. But can we come up with a plan? Was his plan smart? What was stupid about his plan? You don't, you don't get a second wife to have a baby if your first one doesn't have a baby. This is crazy. God promises something. You stay. But how did he lose sight of that? How can we look at it and go, dude, you're so dumb. That's so dumb. And yet, how often in my own life... Have I looked at things I've done and decisions I've made? That was stupid. But it's because we lost sight of who God is, what God has promised. And so they bring Aaron and they ask to make a little God. And they say, as for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, take off the rings of gold. Aaron, Aaron, the brother of Moses. Aaron, the guy who's supposed to be like helping Moses, lead, co-leading. He left him in charge. So Moses isn't just like leaving the people there. He's got a guy in charge. But remember... Impatience, faithlessness, unbelief is so contagious that Aaron's like, maybe they're onto something. Maybe there's a bit of people pleasing in Aaron. We all want to be popular. We all want to be sort of liked by the people in our life. Big mistake. And so he, uh, he says, take off the rings of gold. And by the way, this is his idea. I mean, it's their idea, but he's the one who comes up with the plan. And, and uh, 
and, and, and the sons and the daughters and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold and brought them to Aaron and he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And that was the symbol, that was what people worshiped in that day. So they said, we're not gonna go after the one true God, Jehovah, we're gonna do what everybody else is doing. Refusing to wait on God will always stand in the way of revival. You're gonna see in a minute the climax of the story Things did not end well for the people of Israel that day. When I refused to wait on God, I attempted to take matters into my own hands. I'm just give you some sub points here that I've wrote down. When I refused to wait on God, I stand in rebellion against His will. It's, it's not a simple impatience. We, we are so, like, we're into respectable sins in the United States. There's a book that I think Paul Tripp wrote once called Respectable Sins. It's a great book because we all know that, you know, sleeping around is a bad sin. And, and you know, we make our list, you know, be, people are like, well, being gay is a bad sin. And now we're in a new era in the church where we're repenting of, of accusing people of having a greater sin than the other, as we should, because being jealous is just about as bad as sin. As murder, there's no difference. God doesn't say, well, this sin is worse. There are consequences that might be worse in certain conditions than others. But the sin itself, our hearts are evil. And, 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 so, and so when I refuse to, take, to, to wait on God, it is a rebellion against God's will, who he is, what he has promised. Disbelief is the greatest sin of all times. By the way, Sodom and Gomorrah. Remember that uh, when they fell, you know, for the 80s and 90s, people would use Sodom and Gomorrah as an example of a place that had much in terms of um, the, the sins of the flesh. And yet when you read in the New Testament, the blame at Sodom and Gomorrah was that they were in rebellion against the authority of God. They did not believe God. The reason that people of Israel did not go into the promised land was not because of all their moaning and groaning, but in Hebrews it says because they did not. Again, where do you go back to believe God? Eve, in, in Genesis chapter 3, what was her sin? Not just she ate an apple or whatever fruit you have in mind in that story. It's that she did not believe God. Are you believing God this morning? So I don't know. How do you know when you look at his promises? You look at his word. Do you, do you know his word? How can you believe God and his word and his character if you're not in his word? Why do we take the effort of coming to church every week, of gathering in small groups now? Our church has the small groups. Of having studies like this, of going to conferences. Because we want to create a hunger in our life for his word. And so when you refuse to wait on God, you are declaring, I am rebellious against his will and his plans for my life. Uh, and then you'll start to make unwise decisions, which will lead you down the path of destruction. Now, Put this for point number two, along the same lines. Failure to recognize God's goodness in your life. Okay, first is we're talking about what stands in the way of revival. Number one, refusing to wait on God. Number two, failure to recognize God's goodness in your life will always stand in the way of revival. All right, this is important. Now, they're tied in that disbelief makes you overlook the goodness of God. When you stop believing who God is, You'll start thinking that what you have in your life, you did in your own strength. You'll start believing that, that the results in your life is because you worked hard. And, and you forget that it is God's goodness that got you to where you are. Classic people of Israel mistake. What did they do? They looked at their life and they didn't think, oh, we were stuck as slaves. In fact, many times they came to God and said what? Oh, that we were slaves back in Egypt. Really? Really? You prefer to be a slave in Egypt? How short our memories are. How quickly if we forget, that's in Ecclesiastes, we're told not to look at the past, it's unwise because a lot of us will come to wrong conclusions because we're basing the past on the pain that we're feeling right now rather than hoping in the goodness of God for the future. What if the people of Israel had gone together with Aaron and instead of saying, let's build a calf, what if Aaron had said to them, you know what, let's do something else instead. Let's make a gratitude list. I know that sounds hokey in our modern day, get your journal out, 10 things I'm grateful for. Number one, I'm breathing. <laughs> you ever do that? <laughs> Number two, 
I'm alive. <laughs> Number three, I have a house. Fine. You know, and you're like, you're like kicking and screaming. You're, you can barely make it to number eight. I have a, a list. You know, Ann Voskamp talks, talks a lot about that, a thousand gifts. I dare you to come up with a thousand things. I don't think most of us can, would really truly be able to come up with a hundred. I've tried the practice. I think I can, pushing and screaming, come up to 50. And it's because our, our imagination is so restricted. We can't see every detail of life. Do that practice today. Go home and start listing the goodness of God by making a list of thankfulness in your life. You want to get out of discontent? You want to get out of your rut? If you're stuck, you're like, man, I just feel so stuck in the zone. Anytime you say, man, I'm sick of praying about the same old thing because it doesn't ever change. That's a time to sit down and say, all right, today in my quiet time, I'm going to do something different. You buy yourself a journal and you get it and you say, this is going to be my gratefulness list or my gratitude list. A simple practice, okay? A simple practice that will change your perspective. And there's power in gratitude. There's power. That's God's words. God's words. Says, Enter into his, his home with praise and thanksgiving in your heart and psalms. And why is it do you think that you always feel better after church? Okay, You ever feel see that? Because yeah. you show up to church, what do you do? You start, even when you don't feel like it, okay? If 90%, I mean, there's occasions where you show up and you sit there and everybody else is singing and you're kind of going, I will not, right? <laughs> but, but by and large, peer pressure, you start singing along, right? And so before you know it, you're like, oh, praise God, from well, this explodes. And blah, 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 whatever song you're singing. And, and nobody sings that song anymore, but that just dates me. But, but it's a great song. <laughs> Gloria, you know that song. But, but, but listen, something shifts in your heart. Satan hates it when Christians sing the praises of God. And one of the big mistakes of the people of Israel in this chapter is that rather than seeing the goodness of God in their life, I mean, waiting is inevitable. In my book, Strip, that I read, I only had two copies, so I'm sorry if you guys wanted that book. It's not here today. I'll bring it next, next time. But Strip is an awesome book, and, and, and it is because it talks about this, the people of Israel making their way through the wilderness. And, and in Strip, there's a whole chapter that I talk about waiting. See, waiting is the way for the Christian. Waiting is the season that allows you to see what you believe about God. You see, if your faith is weak, if you don't believe God yet, you're going to know in the waiting because what comes out of your heart will reveal where you're at. So waiting is not bad. God will delay to test us, to try us, to see, to grow us. There's a purpose in the waiting. The problem is what we do with the waiting. Do you build idols in your life? Point number three is that choosing to worship an idol instead of the Lord will always, we're talking about revival, will always stand in the way of revival. So just to kind of back up a bit, refusing to wait on God will always stand in the way of revival. Failure to recognize God's goodness in my life will always stand in the way of revival. Number three, choosing to worship an idol instead of the Lord will always stand in the way of revival. Now, some of you are going, thank God, not me. I do not have any idols in my house, you know. And, and to you, idols is that, that little Buddha when you see when you go into a Chinese restaurant and you're like, nope, not in my house. We don't even have icons. Like, you're like, I don't do any of that. I got saved out of it. That's not what I'm talking about. That's not what I'm talking about. And if you're here and you've been in church for any amount of time, I'm sure by now you are familiar with what an idol is. Is anything that you worship in the place of God. An idol is anything or anyone that you place in your heart above your love and worship of God. Our life is full of idolatry all of the time. In my book, Thrive, I have a chapter on idolatry, that whether you're single or not, the book is for singles, and the second half of the book is so pointed for anybody who 
has struggled with disappointment in your life. And in the waiting, there's disappointment. So every one of us has gone through seasons of disappointment. In the chapter on idolatry, I sort of sum up what an idol is, and I say, whatever you think you'll, will make you happy. If I have this, I'll be happy. That's an idol. Whatever you think, man, I cannot live without that. If I don't have that, you fill in the blank, I will never be happy. It could be a job. It could be a ministry position. It could be a... It could be a guy. It could be a girl. It could be anything in your life. You're like, if that doesn't happen, I'm not going to be happy. You have an idol problem. Listen, daily you've got to screen your heart. This is why David prayed, search me, O God, and know me. Paul talks about examining yourself to see if you're in the faith, but just to see where am I with the Lord? What has taken the... A ministry can become an idol. A good thing can become an idol. God, if you don't fix this, I'm not going to be happy. That has become more important to you than God. And while it's okay to wrestle with God, there's a point where you've got to stop. And like David say, God, my expectation is from you. Pastor Carl preached a couple weeks ago his sentence that has stuck with me so much. No expectations, but yes, anticipation. See, we come to God with expectations. We want him to do certain things in our lives. And then we're disappointed that they don't have. Look, our expectation is not of God. We want from God. And so the point is that we want God. We want to expect him, but not of him. You see, we live waiting for what God gives us rather than resting in his heart. You know, we want God, what, what is in his hand rather than what's in his heart. And that sentence that Carl said, it's not wrong to anticipate. The whole prayer life is a life of anticipation. You're waiting to see, like Friday, I'm in my house on the elliptical, not in my house, at my sister's gym, on, on Wednesday, doing the elliptical, thinking that I've got two days to prepare for my Saturday conference. I get a call, that is anticipation, not knowing what God could do at any moment, and then God surprising you with his goodness. He does it all the time. New relationships, new opportunities, little joys. My sister is obsessed with little red cardinals. When she sees a cardinal, she thinks it's like the second coming of Jesus. <laughs> she takes videos, she takes pictures. I know y'all have to like sit her down and do some counseling with her, but it's true, like you rarely see them. And every time she sees them, she's like, God has noted me today. Oh, wow. All right, some of you have your thing. I don't care what it is. It's a small thing, but it's between you and the Lord. It's a, maybe a verse. There's certain verses that have been so meaningful in my life. And when they come out, like you'll open a devotional or, or something randomly and you'll see that verse, you know in your soul that is anticipation. Okay, a phone call, a letter. Expectation is, God, if you don't do this, I'll not fill in the blank. I won't. I might drop yeah, at that. You ever have prayers like that? You're like, I pray, I pray. <laughs> how, would we, how would that look like in a prayer meeting? truth is if we did pray it doesn't take long before our tone changes doesn't it when we really get get into the presence of God I still am so convicted that we just don't pray people who've been Christians for years we say we do we might pray before a meal for two minutes but we just don't have a full fervent prayer life I mean, we talk about this in this church all the time because we believe it the, the longer I do ministry the more I am convinced if we don't pray we will not see, we will not be able to succeed in faith. I don't mean to success horizontally. I mean the stability of the Christian. I was in Lebanon. I just got back since our last meeting. I went and did the 10-day mission trip. We went to Syrian refugee work. I do it. Again, every time I sit down with that pastor, the same. It could be Carl. It could be Jihad. I mean, he says to me, we learned to walk on our knees. That is how their church has grown. And God is impacting tens of thousands 
Muslims who are giving their lives to Jesus. It is an incredible work that is happening. And she said, and what's your secret? He's like, secret? Secret? We're constantly in need, waiting, hoping, anticipating, and we've learned to walk on our knees. How much time of your day is spent praying? And I know, I know, I know what we think in the West. Like, you don't understand. I have work. I have kids. I have, you know, whatever kids' activities they're in. My stinking five-year-old nephew has to go to violin, like, twice or three times a week. Every time I call, like, where are you? I'm like, he doesn't even like the violin. He's never going to become some yo-yo man. Like, what is wrong with him? guy he hated that so much he would go this guy's so stubborn don't feel sorry for him he's got the whole world wrapped around his little finger he would go to violin and just stand there. I mean 20 minute face off with the teacher my sisters threatened to pull him out of violin it's by some miracle you want anticipation he started picking it up I don't know what she bribed him with and now he plays the violin and some of us need to learn to show up maybe at first it's hard just keep doing it, you know. No, you don't, you don't have to go to CrossFit or to the gym. You already look great. You know, it's always like you think, oh, that extra 10 pounds. It's always going to be an extra 10 pounds. Whatever it is that you think, man, if I don't do this, you're like, I'll check email one more time. I'll check Facebook one more time. Why? It's eating us, eroding our hearts, hearts away. But, but, but the question isn't where are you spending your time, but you go back to the heart issue of what is your idol what is it that you're going after? When you're chasing a job, when you're trying to make more money, when you're chasing the gym, trying to lose more weight, what is it that you think, man, if I just have this, I will finally be happy? The people of Israel thought if they could just see their God, touch their God, move things along, see some kind of activity in their life because nothing was changing on the outside. And then they failed miserably. And here's number four, persisting in hard hearted rebellion will always stand in the way of revival. I'm going to take you through the story a little bit more. They rose up the next day, offered burnt offerings, and brought peace offerings. I'll read that sentence again here. I'll give it to you again so we can focus on the reading. Persisting in hard hearted rebellion will always stand in the way of revival. Now, I want you to understand some context in the story because it is not going to end well. 32,000 people are going to die. All right, if you know the story, you know what's coming. And God had given them so many chances to repent. Even in this chapter, they're given a chance to repent. But it is the persistent, hard-hearted God. I don't care what you say. I don't care what the outcome is. I'm going to stick to my way. That is what God hates. And he will give us always way more mercy than we deserve. Way more grace than we can even ask for. Every day is grace and mercy. But when God is dealing with you, and, and, and there's an area of rebellion, persistent rebellion, God hates sin. This persistent disbelief, this intent to get things done your way, when you want it, how you want it. And so the Lord says to Moses, go down for your people whom you brought up out of land. This is, remember God in Exodus 3, the last lesson, three weeks ago, you can go home and review. God was the one who heard their groaning, remembered them. He saw their tears. He wanted to save them out of slavery. He longs for, the entire Old Testament is God longing for his people. If you read the Minor Prophets, he would send them the Minor Prophets and be like, I yearn for you, Ephraim. Like, God loves you that much. Okay, he loves us. It makes no sense. I don't even like myself most days. God loves me. He loves you. On your worst day, when you think you look bad, when you think you act bad, he loves you, but he also wants you to change. He wants you to, he wants you to respond to him. 
and he'll show it to you and he'll love you through it and he'll walk you to it but but it grieves his heart when his people continually refuse to obey so he says go down for your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I've commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people and behold, it is, here it is, a stiff naked people. Now therefore let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them and I may consume them in order that I may make a great nation of you. So Moses, a picture of Christ, is interceding now for the people. And he says to, them, to God, Oh Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you have brought? And picture, again, the New Testament terms. This is Jesus who's sitting at the right hand of God who has made intercession for us on the cross. So we're seeing a picture of that in the Old Testament. And so he says, he says Why should the Egyptians say with evil intent that he bring them out to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your, peop against your people. Remember, now he takes God to task. He's like, you're the promise maker, God. Here's the covenant you made to Abraham, to Isaac, to Israel, to your servants, to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and, and, and on and on. And then Moses goes down and when Moses sees it, he turns and goes down from the mountain with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand. By the way, I want to just stop for a second. Talking about waiting. You see, we're so impatient. You say, do you want to know the context of the people of Israel then? In Exodus 31, uh, at the end, uh, verse 18, remember in chapter 32, the people of Israel say, man, I'm tired of waiting on God. This is going too long. Look at this. In verse 18, chapter 31, two verses, one, one verse before, he says, and, and God gave to Moses when he had finished speaking with him on Mount Sinai the two tablets of the testimony, tablets of stone written with the finger of God. God had finished speaking. The tablets were in his hand. Moses was on the way down. Some of you who are here today who are sick of waiting on God, you're like, I'm not going to pray about this anymore. I'm going to give up on that dream. What if God is on the verge of giving you breakthrough? What if it's on the way? What if you're just a day before you see God's deliverance? Listen, it could be. I don't know God's timing. I'm not telling you tomorrow morning all your life's going to be changed, but it might. It might. We don't know what God is doing in the unseen. We don't know what his perfect plan for our life is. Believing the goodness of God, trust that he knows us enough that he's going to do exactly what we need when we need it. I urge you, if you want revival, don't stop waiting on God. Don't stop trusting in his goodness. Give up your idols, destroy them. And we'll see at the end of the chapter that that is the only way to get rid of idols is to utterly destroy them. Refuse hard-hearted rebellion. You're like, man, I don't know if I'm in rebellion. Then just get on your knees and tell God. God, I don't know. Maybe I am. Show me. Show me. I know that in my life when I am persisting in rebellion, I know it. I know it. I don't need a counselor to tell me that I am disobeying God. And I know the exact places, right? Everybody now goes to a counselor. I love the counseling business, industry, ministry, whatever you want to call it. I really do. I think you have to be careful where you go to counseling. I think it's overdone sometimes for the sake of simply obeying what you know is true. We know where we're hard-hearted. I can make you a list of the consistent ways that I disbelieve God. It's not rocket science. I've started asking the Lord in my prayer life, God, I don't want to just stop sinning. Because that's sometimes behavior modification. I want a heart to hate the sin. I find, honestly, guys, there's some sins I actually like. And I hate that I like them. That, listen, that's, that's 
soft-heartedness. God isn't saying you got to be perfect for now till the rest of your life. No, that's the point of Jesus is that he died for us. He paid the price that we could not pay. He is perfection for our sakes. But it's saying, God, I know I'm flesh. I know Satan attacks me. I know these things that I hate, that I love this. We change my heart. Did you see the difference when Moses and comes down and sees this? He freaks out. He says, the tablets, he, Moses turned and went down from the mountain with the two tablets, tablets that were written on both sides, on the front and on the back. The tablets were the work of God, and the writing was the writing of God. Engraved on the tablets. Can you even imagine that? The ta- when Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, there's a noise of war in the camp. He said, it is not the noise of shouting for victory or the sound of cry of defeat, but the sound of singing that I hear. And as soon as he came near the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, Moses' anger burned hot. It's okay to be angry at sin. It's okay to look at sin and, and hate it to the point of righteous anger. It is okay to be angry to the point of saying, God, I'll do anything it takes to stop this pattern of sin in my life. And, and he took the calf that they had made and burned it with fire and ground it to powder. That is the only thing you can do with an idol. You ground it to powder and scatter it on the water. And he makes the people of Israel drink it. Let me go in a little bit. <laughs> Let me look crazy. And the point is, it's, 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 it's so disgusting what's happening. Moses says to Aaron, what did this people do to you that you have brought such a great sin upon them? Aaron said, let not the anger of my Lord burn hot. You know the people, and here's blame shifting, classic, human, sinful DNA. Eve did it. Adam did it. They said to me, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses... Y'all, I mean, you know this blame shifting. You know you're sinning. And instead of just saying, you know what? I, I did it. I, I hate it. Like David, when he was confronted finally with the sin of Bathsheba, he says, I repent. When Job was confronted with his complaining to God, and even though he suffered so much, he says, I repent in dust and ashes. I mean, there's, there's a, that's repentance, saying, God, I, I don't, I just, I'm sorry. I was wrong. Please forgive me. And, and, and not Aaron. He's like, yeah, it's because of the internet. It's because of, it's because of this my husband. It's because of my kids. It's been on and on. And you have so many excuses. And, and I said to them, he says, let any of you have gold. He repeats the story. And then Moses saw that the people had broken loose. Then Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, who is on the Lord's side? Come to me. By the way, if that is not an invitation to repentance. Now, anyone in the camp could have said, oh, me. Me, I'm on the Lord's side. You know what? We've been wrong. I am so sorry I did that. I want to change. But, but their hearts were so set on evil. They were in hard-hearted, persistent disobedience and rebellion to God. And they didn't turn. Only the, the men of Levi, the sons of Levi, gathered and says, We are on the Lord's side. So thus says the Lord God of Israel, verse 27, Put your sword on your hand, on your side, each of you, and go to and fro from gate to gate throughout the camp. And each of you, listen, kill his brother and his companion and his neighbor. This book is, 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 is awesome, but it's scary, and it's real, and, I, and we have so much mercy in the New Testament. Think of it. But, but, but the point of these stories isn't to be like, I'm a little, oh, this is so like violent. I don't know what to do with that. The point is God hates sin. The point is that today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of repentance. And, 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 and again, I respect that you're here on a Sunday morning so that your hearts are open to the Lord. But I have sat in service after service knowing in my heart that though 95% of my heart was good, 5% has guarded sin. And I just like a closet in my house that I don't want anybody, you know, you have that drawer. You're like, look at my whole house. I did not open that drawer. That drawer has got to be destroyed. Burn it if you must. Do what you need to get a shredder and start going through 
paper after paper of that business that you don't need to have. And 32,000 people died. You say, what else can we get here for some hope on this Sunday morning? The last point is this. This is the good news. Repenting of all my sin and positioning myself as close to God as possible will always welcome the state of revival. We're talking about what stands in the way of revival. We're talking about impatience, failure to recognize God's goodness, worshiping idols, persisting in rebellion. But the last point, the other side, is repenting of all of my sin and positioning myself as close to God as possible will always welcome a state of revival. I don't care what you've done, who you are today. You come here and you've got a bag full of sin. It doesn't scare us. It doesn't scare anybody in this church. And if it doesn't scare us, it doesn't scare God. God, you're not bad enough where God can't forgive you. He died for all of our sins, past, present, and future. He loved us, Romans 5, 8, while we were sinners. The point isn't, oh my gosh, if they know about this, they're gonna, there's no reason for shame, but there is reason for repentance. You say, what happened to the people of Israel? Well, a price had to be paid. People died. Incidentally, Jesus took the hit for us. Somebody still had to die for our sin, but it was Jesus. And so here they come and the Lord sends the plague on the people because they made the calf. Now, chapter 33, and I'll finish sort of here in the next couple of minutes. The Lord says to Moses, depart, go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought up out of the land of Egypt, to, to the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, to your offering, I will give it. I will send an angel before you. So he says to them, I'm not going with you. You go, an angel will take you. And, and when the people, here it is, verse 4, when the people heard this disastrous word. You see, there's something worse than trying to live your life on your terms. I, I wrote this sentence down here because the people, when they heard this, they mourned and no one put on his ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, say to the people, you are a stiff-necked people. For, if a, for a single moment you, I should go up from among you, I would consume you. So now take off your ornaments. So, so therefore the people of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments because they were like, we don't want to go without God. I wrote this sentence, when the threat of losing the Lord becomes greater than the threat of losing what I want. You're gonna to need to write this to think about it this afternoon. When the threat of losing the Lord becomes greater than the threat of losing what I want, I'm on my way to revival. When the threat of losing the Lord and my relationship with him and my intimacy with him becomes greater than the threat of losing whatever. See, right now you might be saying, man, I don't wanna lose this. But when the threat of losing the Lord becomes greater than the threat of losing that, you know, you're on the way to revival. You don't need any kind of outward sign. You know it in your heart. You might be sitting here today, right now, and going, man, I know. God, I'll do whatever you need me to do. I don't know how to change. That's the thing. I don't know how to change. I don't know how to make myself holy, but I know a faithful God who will. You say, what does it mean to, to position yourself in a state of revival? I believe Joshua shows it. In verses 7 through, and I know I've said this like four times, but I mean it this time. Verses 7 through 11, I'm, I'm at the end. Uh, now Moses, you, you guys are like, you keep saying that. We're still sitting here. We're coming. Now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, far off from the camp, and he called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. Whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people would rise up, and each would stand at his tent door and watch Moses until he had gone into the tent. When Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses. And when all the people the, the, saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise up and worship each at his tent door. So there's this expectancy. But now look at Joshua. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. When Moses turned again into the camp, here it is, his assistant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man would not depart from the tent. 
You want to position your life in such a way to expect revival, to see revival, to taste revival in the presence of God afresh in your life? You do what Joshua did. You stay in the tent. You position yourself near, as near to God as possible. That might mean getting up early in the morning and spending time in the Word where you haven't been doing it. That might mean coming to church on Sunday. That might mean showing up to a small group when it is inconvenient to you because you know that if you position yourself, now, now, now the tent is the presence of Jesus, and if you're in Christ, He is in you. But all of these habits and disciplines and activities are ways to raise your awareness of the presence of God in your life. That might mean you wake up and listen to Christian music in the morning, because if you don't, your worries are going to take over your brain. You say, little practical things. That might mean finding a good Christian counselor, because you need to work through some stuff that has hurt you and messed you up in your life before you listen. You position yourself in the tent and you sit there and wait until God in his timing does whatever he wants and longs and, and listen, desires to do in your heart. He knows you so perfectly. He knows what you love. He's put those desires in your heart and he knows that the only thing that will ever bring you happiness is not what fill in the blank you have, but his very presence. I mentioned St. Augustine last time and his sentence was this, our hearts are restless until they find until we find our rest in Him. Where do you find your rest today? Do you long for revival? I, I preached the word on Friday, on Saturday three times, and I couldn't wait to come up this, to wake up this morning and have a chance to get into God's word again. How does that happen? It is the Spirit of God that stirs something in our hearts. You know it, you feel it. You wake up and you're like, man, I, I can't wait. I can't wait to be with the Lord. That's revival. When God gives you this hunger, for him and this hatred for sin. Are you there now? And if you're not, what stands in the way of revival in your heart? God, show us that, we ask. Father, we need, we need revival, personal revival, corporate revival, national revival. Hey, so there you have it. I hope you enjoyed this podcast and teaching. It's been a joy to be with you today. Uh, I pray that God will indeed revive your hearts as he draws you closer to Jesus. Hey, if you'd like more free resources, check out our app, the Living With Power app, or go to our website, livingwithpower.org. There is so much there for you to enjoy. Right now, we're going through a teaching called Insta Minutes on Instagram. It's also available on our app. Take advantage of it. Uh, if you'd like to look at prior studies of books of the Bible, look under Morning Minutes, and man, you're going to go crazy with all the fun you can have. Uh, next week, we'll be back with our regular podcast interviews. I can't wait for you to listen to the interview I have in store for you. But in the meantime, enjoy this day. If you want to email me, use lena at livingwithpower.org. And finally, if you're in the Chicago area, first Sunday of the month, I teach at my local church called 180 Chicago at 8.30 in the morning, believe it or not. I'd love to have you there with us at our event called Revive that is meant to gear our hearts towards revival. Have an awesome day, and I'll catch you again next week.